Today we bring you a quick episode, breaking down the possibility of a coup in next week's election. For months now, President Trump has refused to say he'll accept the results of the election. And as November 3rd nears, one thing is clear, this election will be unlike any other. So basically the strategy that Trump is embracing is sabotage the election by any means necessary and tell people six weeks before the election it's already fraudulent and the result is already fake and it already merits being overturned legally. This is simply extraordinary. There's never been a situation in American history, and I say that with no hyperbole, but there really has never been a situation where a sitting president is essentially pushing the country to the brink of a violent precipice quite deliberately and solely for personal gain. That's journalist Sasha Abramsky. He was one of the first to analyze this frightening possibility when he wrote the October cover story for The Nation titled, Is Trump Planning a Coup d'etat? Today he joins the podcast to break down the possibility even more and how we as citizens can prepare and defend against a power grab or coup in next week's election. Here's Sasha to break down the rest of his piece. So the piece I wrote is a cover story for The Nation magazine, and it's basically teasing out this idea that this thing that until recently would have been sort of considered wildly fringe and inconceivable, this idea that Trump might actually, A, try to sabotage the mechanism of the election, and B, if the election takes place and he doesn't succeed in manipulating it, might just refuse to accept the results, might try and stall it, might try and use all kinds of legal tactics, might you know, use federal law enforcement in a very politicized, potentially intimidatory or violent way. Um, And it turned out a lot of people were thinking very similar thoughts. What I am going to talk about is something that in my wildest dreams, I never thought I would be discussing. For the second day in a row, President Trump refused to commit to accepting the results of the upcoming election if his rival Joe Biden wins. We have to be very careful with the ballots. The ballots, that's a whole big scam. We want to make sure the election is honest, and I'm not sure that it can be. That is the need to make certain that the president of the United States, if he loses this election, will abide by the will of the voters and leave office peacefully. Since Abramsky's piece went live in the nation, several prominent outlets have increased their coverage of this possibility. Many come to similar conclusions, that Trump and his administration have been carefully laying down a precedent that might allow the commander-in-chief to refuse to accept the results of the election. There are a number of ways Trump and his administration could pull this off. Many are talking about a scenario where Biden moves ahead on election night based on mail-in ballots and initial votes, but Trump then announces with no proof that there has been a massive mail-in ballot fraud and that these votes should not be counted. He could then ask legislators in battleground states where the Republicans have a legislative majority to bypass the state's popular vote and instead choose electors loyal to the GOP and the sitting president. Here's Abramsky with more. Donald Trump has repeatedly said, well, I'm not going to guarantee a peaceful transfer of power. Um, I think the election's going to be rigged. I think there's going to be massive fraud against me. Um, I need a Supreme Court that's going to be in my favor because I not just sort of, he didn't just say, well, it might end up before the courts. He said it will end up before the courts. And it does include things like legal challenges of votes and trying to, uh, trying to sort of basically stalemate the vote count. 
until you get to a place where there is no calibrated vote count and states are legally mandated to provide a certified result and they can't do it. And then you get Republican legislatures saying, well, maybe at that point we come in and we overturn the will of the people. So maybe more people voted for Biden, but Trump is saying it was fraudulent. And so we just come in and we say, well, we're going to choose the electors. Now, obviously, that's absolutely antithetical to every modern 21st century understanding of democracy. But there are certain parts of the way the Constitution is written that might provide them sort of just enough legal cover to sort of start this process. You know, in the end, their strategy probably isn't going to work. But the very fact that they are strategizing so specifically about ways to bypass election results they don't like, I think it tells you everything you need to know, both about where Trump's campaign is, but also about where the Trumpy, the Trumpified GOP is today. The, the, this idea of power at any cost. Mm-hmm. And if the public doesn't like you being in power, well, that's just an impediment to be overcome. Um, it's a really stunning rejection of just basic, basic principles of democracy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, so you begin your piece with an anecdote about the similarities between the paramilitaries in 1930s Europe and kind of what we're starting to see now here. Um, for people who don't really understand or know what like a paramilitary is and how that aids uh, like the rise of a fascist regime, can you kind of explain that? Sure. So a paramilitary group is a heavily armed group that operates officially outside of state authority. So in the 1930s, it was these various state fighting groups that weren't actually part of the police or the military in Germany, let's say, but they were linked in with the Nazi party. So the SA is the sort of quintessential example. And they were street fighters, basically. And some of them wore uniforms and some of them didn't, but they assassinated people. They caused street brawls with political enemies. They tried to destabilize the political system. They did everything they can to make sure that the middle would not hold. And they they basically had a philosophy that if you could polarize the public, if you could polarize people into armed extremist camps, at the end of the day, you could impose an extremist and ultimately a fascist vision on on society. And that's what the German paramilitaries did. And you can see, say the same about the Italians. And you could look at you know pretty much the establishment of any strongman regime. And it partly relies on paramilitaries coming out. And in the American context, what you're seeing is these very heavily armed right-wing militias egged on by certainly Trump as an individual, but arguably the Trump campaign and various Trump surrogates, and certainly egged on by conservative media. And they're coming out into the streets with long arm rifles. They're going after Black Lives Matter and other racial justice protesters. Um, And there have already been lethal confrontations. Mm -hmm. And the risk is with paramilitarism that they come to be seen as a sort of useful tool of intimidation by a strongman leader who can sort of rely on the official institutions of state authority. He can sort of rely on National Guard or military or Department of Justice or Department of Homeland Security. But then maybe there are certain things those official agencies won't do that paramilitaries will do, Mm -hmm. um, in particular street confrontations. And so that's when you get a really dangerous moment. You get this idea of incitement as a political strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, that's something, it doesn't really matter if you're left-wing or right-wing, conservative, liberal. If you care about democracy, you should be absolutely horrified by any slide toward paramilitarism Mm -hmm. because paramilitarism and democracy are completely antithetical to each other because Mm -hmm. paramilitarism normalizes violence as a political strategy. Mm -hmm. 
So you also make a point in your article about how we, we can't rely on the military, the Supreme Court, obviously now to get Trump out of the office. So you, you said to expect a huge number of Americans to be ready to take the streets should Trump and his henchmen try to legally curtail the counting of mail-in ballots. Like how should just everyday Americans, people listening to this podcast, start to be thinking about like what they can do well, right now? I, I think the way to think about it is not only can't we count on the military, but we shouldn't. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want to be inviting the military into civilian politics. That's not a good idea. They, they, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's been a pretty foundational thing for the entire history of the Republic that the military doesn't sort of do that kind of thing. Um, and we certainly can't assume a Trumpified Supreme Court, which may well have a 6-3 conservative majority, we can't assume a Trumpified Supreme Court will just sort of have a road to Damascus moment and suddenly do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can people do? Um, it seems to me that the first thing is a sort of mental recalibration. We've taken it for granted for decades, for centuries, that there will be a peaceful, orderly handover of power after an election, that the person who loses the election, even if it's a close election, even if, you know, raises all kinds of animosities at the end of the day the person who loses will with good grace cede power and allow for a transition and we can't assume that anymore because trump's told us we can't assume that so the first thing we can do as individuals is mentally recalibrate what does it mean if we're living through a moment where we can't assume good faith on the part of the president well the next thing is what do we do well now we know we can't sort of sit on the fence because at moments like this if you sit on the fence, you're essentially giving an imprimatur to the status quo. Mm. So it is entirely possible that we will reach a situation where America needs its own version of a democracy movement. We saw democracy movements in Hong Kong recently. We've certainly seen them in Eastern Europe over the last several decades, and we've seen them in various other countries and regions in, in the recent past. Mm. We need a non-violent, disciplined, and committed democracy movement that doesn't talk necessarily about individual policies or individual pieces of legislation, but talks about this broad understanding of what it means to live in and behave in a democracy. Mm. And I think that that involves a commitment. It involves a sustained commitment that we won't just sort of say, all right, we're tired, we're bored, we're scared, we're going to go home. And if Trump wants to establish a dictatorship, we'll just sit back and let it happen. Mm. Because, you know, A, we're going to end up in a society that is grubby and mean and violent if we do that. But the second thing is it's unsustainable. You know, this country cannot survive if it goes down a road of increasingly violent, nationalist, pogrom-like politics. And that would be a historical tragedy because for all of its flaws, America's presence on the global stage is really, really important. And America's values and the, the... understanding of democracy that at its best it you know projects to the world that is a really important thing to preserve so lastly i mean this might be tough for you to say but in in your best judgment or how you're imagining things right now what do you think will happen with all this with the election i i i i'm loath to say because i think however i sort of answer that it gets taken out of context but what i would say is that if Trump continues to escalate with his rhetoric, he's creating a situation that's going to be extremely hard to dial down. And 
the job of a president is or should be to calm tensions, not inflame tensions at a moment like this. And so I'm not going to say exactly how this will play out because frankly, I don't know. But I do know that we're in a moment where the integrity of the election and the ability to basically have a smooth, peaceful, normal transfer of power if Trump loses and Biden wins, all of this is being questioned in a way it should not be questioned. It's just, it's too, it's too irresponsible. It's too demagogic. And once you start questioning the integrity of an election, you basically undermine public confidence from here to kingdom come. This isn't something that, you know, come November 4th, we're all going to be healed and everyone's going to be happy again. He's poisoning the well here in a way that makes the functioning of peaceful democratic politics really, really difficult. And that is something that anybody a good conscience should reject. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, I'm really appreciative for you coming on. Is there anything else you want to say or add? No, I think you pretty much did the, did the wrap on this. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Have a good one. Hey, you too. Take care. Yeah. Thank you to Sasha for coming on. Since recording this interview, the possibility of a Trump-backed coup has gotten more media attention. The New Yorker profiled groups like Choose Democracy that are organizing Americans and leading training sessions to psychologically prepare us for this possibility, which you can find at choosedemocracy.us. That's choosedemocracy.us. Additionally, Sunrise Movement has partnered with Count on Us, an organization forming an intersectional coalition around this cause. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes to find out how you can get involved today.